Hello and welcome to the Women in Sport podcast brought to you by CSM Live. It's another episode. Now things have got a little bit colder, a little bit wetter and summer is well and truly over. But that doesn't change things for us. We're still looking ahead to how we can get active even in the the not so nice seasons that we have in the UK. I'm really excited to be joined in this episode, an episode we've been trying to put together for a very long time, but lockdown sort of threw things out the window a little bit, but an uh, an episode that will be really interesting for a lot of our listeners. And it's going to be all about inclusive activity. I'm excited to be joined by Emma O'Connor, sports officer at Down Syndrome Association. Hi, Emma. Thanks for joining us. Hi, yeah. Good to be on. And also Kate Gray, patron and trustee at Disability Sports Coach. Hi, Kate. Hello. Good to be here. And our athlete representative, because we always like to have an athlete on who uh, can put us all to shame with their abilities, is Siobhan Fitzpatrick, who is a wheelchair basketball athlete. Siobhan, is it England GB? I wasn't 100% sure who who you compete for. Yeah, I'm a Great Britain athlete at the moment. And then um, hopefully with the Commonwealth Games, I'll be an England athlete as well. But yeah, Great Britain athlete. Very exciting times. So we do, yeah, we do like to bring on um, the celebs uh, for, for an episode. So Shabon is our designated celeb for this one. So um, firstly, this is a topic that is quite broad um, and it's a lot about everyone's personal experience, but also about how we can, I think, put pressure on the on the sports sector especially to make changes and to be more inclusive and that's what we talk about a lot on this podcast but this is obviously quite a specific topic so firstly Shaborn, as our, our athlete rep um, tell me a little bit about your experience as a disabled athlete and getting into basketball and, and how you sort of found your your space by absolute chance and luck really um so I wasn't I did P join primary school so I'm a twin so um they kind of partnered me up with her all through primary school and that's why I was allowed to do P because she was kind of like a carer for want of a better word um and then I got to secondary school and they said that I wasn't allowed to do P at all um because I was deemed an insurance hazard now I walk I've got cerebral palsy but I'm still pretty mobile for a disabled person like I'm not in a chair full time um, and when I was told I wasn't allowed to do sport, like my whole world literally shattered because it was one thing that I could do that then I wasn't able to do at school. Um, and then pretty much when I was 12, so year eight, they kind of carted all the disabled people at the school, which there wasn't many really after this event called Playground to Podium, where I got to try loads of different sports. Um, and wheelchair basketball was the sport that I fell in love with. Um, and here I am 10 years later now doing it as a career, which is just mental. Um, but yeah, um, I didn't even know about Paralympic sport and it was London 2012 that that, that changed that for everybody um, but for my first 12 years of life and going to the NHS and the physios things sport was never mentioned to me or disability sport was never even a conversation that I'd even ever had so yeah I'm relatively new and things have changed now but yeah I wish I'd known about it sooner really. And do you think your your experience is quite unique you think most most kids in your situation wouldn't have had that opportunity? Yeah, I think maybe my age group maybe so like late teens, early 20s may have done. Now things are starting to change and we do a lot of work in schools to change that. We go in and do sports sessions with them and things are changing. And some of the younger girls on my team that I can speak for are now being able to do disability sport as part of their GCSEP or A-level PE where I asked to do GCSEPE and I'd represented my country. I was a world champion and I still wasn't allowed to do it as a GCSE. So um, things have changed in the in the short space of time, but there's still a long way to go and a lot of it's cost and insurance and then, and then being too scared to, to make a mistake or ask the question, I think. I think it's just a lot of unknown of how to deal with someone with, 
with an additional need or a disability. So for me, that needs to change. Yeah, and there's so many things just from hearing from you, obvious things that people just don't even think about and it becomes such a barrier to participation. Kate, what are some of the things that, that disability sports coach are trying to do to not only change perceptions, but provide opportunities to kids who can't get them otherwise? Yeah, well, for those that don't know much about Disability Sports Coach, uh, they're mainly based in London, but on, on the verge of branching out. And they offer multi-sports activity clubs to disabled people um, of all ages, all abilities uh, across the London boroughs. Uh, and they've got fully skilled uh, coaches that are used to delivering to uh, disability and trying to make their activities inclusive and I think their ultimate goal is just to get people active it's never really got the end goal of it being for competitive purposes um, which I think works really well for a while you know I've someone who's competed in sport and I've gone through what Siobhan's been through and then also now I'm in the more uh, participation side and grassroots and trying to support charities and clubs to make their clubs more inclusive and I think ultimately the Paralympic pathway was very much you've got a disability you must become a Paralympian whereas actually that's not the case for a lot of young people disabled people the biggest issue for for disabled people is actually just being physically active and having a club or a safe place or an accessible centre that they can attend, knowing that they can turn up, park where they need to, have the right facilities to get to the club and then have suitable activities to be able to enjoy taking part in physical activity. And that's something that disability sports coach in a a city which is forever being faced with challenges of not being very accessible accessible for transport, uh, not having enough on offer for disabled people. They're really cutting through that and making sure that there are opportunities to most importantly keep people fit and healthy regardless of their their ability and I think that's the most important thing before we even consider trying to turn them into Paralympians. And Emma how how does that sort of relate to the work that that you do with the Down Syndrome Association and and your sports specific role obviously big charity but what what does the sports specific area look like what what sort of things are you trying to do whether it's influence the sector or even just create clubs and activities? Uh, so really it's two missions we have so uh, we constantly do research so we need to so I, I work for part of a dancing gym association which is called DS Active so we'll have specific sports that are just for people with Down syndrome but we also do a lot of training where the numbers of say for instance you're a club and you want to set up a Down syndrome session the numbers may not be there because you're still looking at numbers to make it sustainable uh, and keep it going so we offer where we either work with clubs so we look at locally at local clubs that are setting up uh, dear so Down syndrome pacific um sports or we go speak to other clubs we speak to national government bodies and offer training so that training specifically will either be uh going into coaches uh, and doing workshops now it's all online um and, and give them advice okay a person with down syndrome they also have a learning disability they also may have uh, vision acuity and they also may have hearing as well. So for us, it's a lot of education um, and, and a lot of our clubs is grassroots. So we want to get them in. And if they want to go higher, uh, the elite pathway is very limited with a lot of sports. Uh, I mean, you can't, if you are a person with Down syndrome, you're unable to compete at the Paralympics, but it's a Special Olympics, which is sort of a, a different format, but it's still there. But again, the... <laughs> 
it's it's there's so many barriers to get to that level if that makes any sense so we are really disactivated the grassroots entry level into that and then if you go high or you want to go high there's a there's an opportunity what are some of the changes that you would like to see the sector make make in order to be more inclusive and to make your job easier i feel like with a lot of areas of sport it's always a fight it's always a fight for organizations to say to people please you know please provide opportunities where you can um what would you like to see people do to 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 do that well people need to see it and and uh, and other people to be influencing it so you need the decision makers and the decision makers are the national government bodies and different sectors of the government to do things you need money as much as you have volunteers, brilliant, and volunteers give all their time, you need the national government bodies need to be able to access in funding to make start, uh, to to set up new projects or to put existing projects in. Because uh, a lot of the time it's hand to mouth. Oh, we've got a little bit of funding. Oh, that can last for a year. We don't think about sustainable because a lot of disability sessions. Let's be frank, are a little bit more expensive because you'll have smaller numbers. You may need to have more expert coaches and you may have to have specific venues whether that's indoor or outdoor or whether you need say for instance swimming coach you may need you've got people with say disabilities you may need the whole pool maybe uh, the swimmers have autism so maybe having specific um, what's the right word understanding the individuals really but you need money to do that you really need money to do that it's great loads of charities doing great stuff and sometimes I feel like we could be working a lot better uh, together but a lot of charities all fighting for the same money. Um, but for uh, really Down Syndrome Association, we want people with Down Syndrome and our mission is to be active, whether that's in DS active settings or clubs and partners, or whether that's in pan disability or whether that's in mainstream um, um, sessions. That's always one. But we've done research because we've only been 14 years um, and Fulham Football Club came to us and said, we need to set up uh, a Down Syndrome club because we've got lots of people with down syndrome and they weren't interacting with pan disability sessions so a lot of people with down syndrome their reaction times could be a bit slower uh and, and there's other imp uh, impairments or disabilities they have as well so fulham came to us they're they're a first club they're called fulham badges um and they come to us and said oh we've got an idea C can we roll with it um got some money uh funding pilot and it's still running and then once one club does it Another club does it, and then all the football clubs. So we have over 40 football clubs, and now we've ventured into tennis, athletics, rugby, cricket. So we're going into other sports. But our mission is really to get people with Down syndrome active and giving them opportunities, because a lot of time it's the opportunities, known opportunities are there, but doing it properly, not doing cut corners. And Because I can't personally, my opinion, I hate taster festivals that lead nowhere. It's like giving a child loads of sugar, and expect them to sit down. Taste the festivals are good if I'm leading you and directing you to other activities or sessions. Um, so, yeah. You're absolutely right. We are all fighting for that same pot of money. And a lot of the, the organisation's resources is going into finding bids and, and pitching for, for money. Uh, and we're all going after the same pots. Whereas if there's a way that they could all be a bit more united uh, and have that constant reliable income stream uh, that means we can do long-term interventions like at the moment it's just year on year and trying to then develop the charity the organization beyond you know what they're doing right now is such a challenge and I appreciate at this moment in time trying to find consistent income streams is so difficult because of the current climate but 
you know, physical activity, well-being of disabled people has got to be such an important topic because they're the most vulnerable during these times. Mm -hmm. And they need to really realise that there's a lot of people out there trying to do really great things, but they need to be supported to be able to move on what they're doing and, and not either lose the great work they've done or just get stagnant in what they're doing. I, okay, I totally agree. I'm really passionate about it. And sometimes my passion can come across as a bit angry. I just want change. And sometimes I get frustrated with lovely words and lovely little hashtags and uh, social media stuff. No, I want to see action. And to get action, to be honest with you, funding is the, is the key one. If, if you want to be all inclusive, you also need to listen to people as well. What do you, how do I get you active? How do I get you doing something? Right, tell me the barriers. Right, I knock that all down. That that that's how we completely get rid of it. But obviously, uh, funding—we're all scrapping for the same bits of money. If I'm being honest with you, um, and whatnot. And I know it's hard, and everyone is trying to do the best they can with limited um, resources. And Kate, how do you see these things changing, or perhaps worsening, from a gender angle? Obviously, we focus a lot on women and girls, so with some of the, the children that, that DSC work with, are there ways that when someone is a woman or girl in this space, things are also a lot harder? I personally haven't seen an imbalance within the organisation. Uh, in some ways, I actually see there's more of an imbalance with the type of disability. So there's they're finding it much easier to access uh, those people with learning difficulties because they're all found in, you know, whether they are part of similar groups or similar centres or, you know, they've got carers that are all in touch with each other. But the challenging part is trying to find those with physical disabilities uh, because they're a bit more hidden, a bit like we heard from Siobhan there, you know, going to a mainstream school, having a fairly normal experience, then suddenly reaching a barrier because for whatever reason, the school or the teacher or the organisation doesn't feel comfortable working with that physical disability. So uh, we've not seen much issue with regards to gender although I do totally understand that there always comes those additional issues of, you know, what females go through and not maybe getting the necessary support that they need at right times to help them be able to take part in sport, whether it's because they're nervous about being on their period and doing sport or accessing certain activities as a result of that. Um, and just generally feeling a bit more self-conscious um, about being physically active, whether it's sweating, whether it's not feeling comfortable in their, their sports outfits. But that doesn't tend to be as big a issue within the clubs that we're running. Um, it's much more about the variety of disabilities that are involved in the clubs. And Siobhan, what's it been like from your experience as an elite para-athlete? What, what, what's the women's experience compared to the men's? Do you find that the men's wheelchair basketball team, is it a case that they get more funding, they get more support, they get more coaching? How does it work? Or do you feel like things are quite equal in, in terms of that? Um, so from a domestic side, we actually play in a mixed league. So men and women play together. So it's the most inclusive sport on, the, on that level. Um Yes, we lose, like in our classification system, we lose the team gain a point, or you can see it from the women lose a point. So that's probably the only disadvantage, but I suppose it's an advantage too. Um, and then from the elite side, we don't train together, but we're all on the same funding. A lot of the men have a lot more opportunities to go abroad because um, the women, they can go abroad. There's just not as many opportunities or they, they stay in study or they do different things, but it's not necessarily... Um, different it's just 
we our game's very different so it's not like that we get treated any different we get the same coaching opportunities we get everything exactly the same so um for me I don't really see any difference we're on the same funding level um as long as we medal so really it's down to performance it's not really based off on gender um it's based on how we perform and and luckily we're both both teams are performing really well so for that side of things um it's not a problem so and when we spoke before you mentioned how wheelchair basketball is a really inclusive space in terms of having disabled and non-disabled people getting getting a chance to be active together which we've focused on in previous projects with one that we've worked on called get out get active which is a sort of uk-wide program that was very much about that so what is it about wheelchair basketball that that creates that opportunity and what do you think other sports could learn from that to say you know we don't need to separate people um, we can create spaces where they can get active together well we do do it together but we also are separate so we do have the only women's league in the whole of the world that does run a whole wheelchair basketball women's league and um, because we did have a lot of engagement from our participants they wanted to just do it as a hobby they didn't want to make the elite side of it so I wonder if the perception of it changes depending on how far you want to go in the sport so for me I love playing with the guys because it makes me better on an elite side of it um, but from a from a hobby and enjoyment side of it just playing with the girls is a lot more enjoyable because the game changes a little bit when the boys play you know all the egos and personalities and all that side of the sport so um, for me yeah wheelchair basketball is the most inclusive on that side but I think other sports, I guess, is, it depends on the sport and I think it depends on the disability. I think wheelchair basketball is so inclusive because you're all in a chair, you're all, any impairment can kind of do it so it's different and I think in different sports the impairments can also decide how inclusive it can be, um, you know, and especially with Down syndrome there's obviously different impairments. We don't have, we're not saying that we wouldn't have Down syndrome play wheelchair basketball but because it's a coordination sport it would be very difficult for them to engage with it at a higher level. Um, so for me, I think a lot of it with disability comes down to the impairment and the individual. Um, we don't turn people away, but it does sometimes stop how far they can progress in the sport. And Kate, has has DSC got any programmes or looked at any programmes where they have created an inclusive space and provided children with opportunities to get active together regardless of, of disability? I think a lot of what they do is like family orientated. So it's never just about the disabled sibling to come along and take part they allow the sisters the brothers to join in and then it doesn't just feel like you're at a disability club um, they also run festivals in the summer which have all the governing bodies of all of the sports that are present there so that they can all have a try and then be fed on to the necessary um, sports that they've most enjoyed because a lot of what disability sports coaches very multi-sports they get a flavor of everything in all the clubs they do and then they get signposted off to any of the governing bodies that might be able to support them but at those events as well siblings friends family are all allowed to attend to take part and to enjoy so it's not that they're necessarily trying to open them up to all abilities because uh, that may put off some of the disability athletes or young people or or people in general to come along because they might feel intimidated and that's why it feels like a safe space but they're very open to any of those people, those those family members, those siblings that want to join in, they're absolutely welcome to, because I think that's how you encourage people to stay active. You give them a safe support group that will then take them to the park after that activity that they've done to ensure that they're continuing to stay active regardless. An Activity Alliance, a, a big organisation in this space, they, we've worked with them before and we've done some of their, their really good um, workshops and they do they have a lot of data on participation of disabled people as well as you know um, pulling stats about how many disabled people there are in the UK 
And I'm interested to know how far you guys think sports participation can impact the wider sort of perceptions of disabled people in the UK. Obviously, Shabon's mentioned the Paralympics and the impact had on her. But what is the impact as well on on the wider, more grassroots community about, you know, showcasing the visibility of disabled people participating in sport? What what impact can that have? I think it's for a long time. It's you know, there's been stereotypes around disability. If you're if you're not disabled and a Paralympian, then you're disabled and living on benefits or you know being very much dependent on other people and I think the more we can offer physical activity opportunities for people with a disability to get out be a part of the community and feel like they're giving something back or at least being involved in something I think it will change people's attitude because they become more visual they're they're in the public eye they're not hiding in their bedrooms they're not hiding in their safe special schools they're they're actually getting out into the local parks and on their wheelchairs whizzing around the the parks they're in in social spaces doing gym workouts you know people might be quite surprised to see a group of disabled people working out in a public park we should be making that absolutely okay because we need to be changing the perception of people towards disability, not just from an elite Paralympic point of view, because that is happening already thanks to London 2012. It's everybody else that don't want to become a Paralympian, but want to enjoy being healthy and fit. It's really education is the main one and get people's head around that girls with disability can be active as well as, I mean, it's only been recently or in the last 20 years, girls can do sport. Girls can play football. What? You're joking. I thought it was a boy sport. And it's just changing the mindset of a lot of uh, decision makers, changing the public, but also looking at how national government bodies communicate. What language do they use to make it inclusive? Um, so say, for instance, I've seen a lot of stuff where you're advertising girls' football sessions. And they put a boy on it. You're like, that's like imagery is massive. And the, and the way you communicate, the way you market yourself is really important. So now I think people are thinking more about Okay, how do we communicate with our audience? Uh, people with uh, girls with Down syndrome, when I look at our stats, it's, it's, it's quite low, but it mirrors the when you look at disability participation, when you look at when you look at the genders, again, they're very similar. It's mainly boys are more engaged in sport, and we need to find out why. So again, I've conducted some research. There's two bits of research. One I did two years ago about finding out if people with Down syndrome generally, so both genders, were accessing leisure centres. So that research basically guided um, some training for leisure centre providers because we found out people with Down syndrome, if they enjoyed or if they knew the receptionist's name or knew what they looked like, they'd have a fantastic experience in the leisure centre. Something as small as that and, and giving that information and sharing that information with leisure centre providers can actually see an increase of, of people of, of uh, people coming in, using your facilities. And also, if more people are accessing your leisure centre, that's more money. And even small things with training um, sort of different members of staff. And then another research which is ongoing is, I really want to know why girls with Down syndrome are not accessing sport. So I've done a few interviews over lockdown and the research will be done in a couple of months' time to fully understand why. So yeah, for us, we want more girls to be active and maybe as DS Active, we need to be looking at different sports. Uh, we found tennis is generally uh, 50-50, males and, and females. When you look at football, it very mirrors uh, disability football, where it's about 85-90% males and then sort of 10-15% females um, as well. Because I set up a 
about five years ago, I set up a girls' dance syndrome team when I was at AFC Wimbledon. And we were the only girls' dance syndrome team in the country. And that sort of indicates, well, is there demand? Has it been marketed well? Or is there a need as well um, for it? Um, yeah. Sorry, I talk a lot. Don't worry. Siobhan, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I guess for me, um, so I'm in a bit of a noise place, but I guess for me, um, like we say about Paralympians feeling like they can go and do sport in public places. But for me, during lockdown, like I find it really hard to go out and train in a public place because even though, you know, I'm an elite athlete and it's my job and I get paid to do it, I felt really self-conscious to accept myself on a basketball court when there's people running. Um, and I didn't think I'd, I even had that mindset. I thought I was fine with being say which I am I'm, I'm fully promoted I'm fine but I found it really bizarre to, to have to change my training and you know I was out of my space my safe bubble I wasn't with my friends I was isolated by myself doing it and I was really conscious about what other people thought and I never got any um comments made or anything but it was my own perception um of, of going and training outside was really difficult and I found it really hard to to keep going back and doing it so I think it's not just um like hobby recreational sport that they struggle with I think a lot of Olympians are, are kind of when they're compared to Olympians all the time for their performance and you know they're not on the same sponsorship levels and they're not in the public eye and we don't get the same TV coverage and stuff I just think the perception still need to be changed massively. I can relate to that quite a bit, bit as well Siobhan because even though I've retired like when I was an athlete and I was training in my my group of athletes I was really empowered I knew what activities I had to do I had a coach that was giving me all my adapted activities to do and then as soon as I retired the idea of going to a public gym and trying to do my own activities and watching people see me do things differently like I'll tie a cable around my arm to be able to do with the right pulley up here and they'll be like what is she doing? That's really strange. And they probably weren't, but I had that worry of, of being looked upon a bit strange. You know, if I left my prosthetic hand on the floor where I was just going to pick it up and, you know, people are like, why has she got her prosthetic hand in the gym? That's really strange. So I, I do get that. And I think it's probably our perceptions more than theirs, but there is still that worry that there's not enough representation of disabled people just in, in the public taking part in sport. You know, we see that at an elite okay. level, but not so much at a basic level. Kate, I think it's visibility, as we keep saying. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and education. I would love to see Special Olympics given and disability sports uh, live on TV. So Channel 4 or any sort of Boobs 1, Boobs 2. Why don't you start putting it on Sky and BT Sport? The audience gets smaller. So is there an opportunity where it needs to be more... You need to put it in people's faces to um, see, really. You know, we only do see disability sport on our TVs at Paralympics, you know, we very rarely see it beyond that. And even though while I'm working in the media, I'm trying to fight to get Paralympic stories on, it's always overshadowed uh, by the, the much more dominating sports. Uh, and I think that's part of it. But if we can have more visibility of disability at grassroots and in the public eye on a regular basis, there's gonna be more of a force pushing and demanding for you know podcasts like this for you know visual disabled people on camera uh, and it's got to start from the bottom upwards rather than from the top down i think some of the core things that really stand out and this is the case with everything i mean every single podcast theme we do it sort of always comes back to funding visibility with with every inch of the sector it's always funding and it's always visibility but are there any more i guess not easier wins, but more tangible things that the people who listen to this podcast, who may work at a club, who may work at an NGB, 
and may not have access to funding because of the current situation, the sort of changes that they could do internally to improve participation or improve opportunities for disabled women and girls or, or just disabled people in general? I think the biggest thing for me would be to just have a conversation and not be scared to have that conversation. Like I could have done PE at school, I'd have just done it a different way. Like Kate with the prosthetic, I would have just wouldn't have ran, I would have just walked or I'd have walked my day chair in and pushed it or whatever the scenario would have been. Um, I would have just done it a different way and I think a lot of people are scared to offend people about asking the questions um, or just create a conversation and find out what the individual wants rather than deciding for them. I think for me that would be the biggest change. And a lot of that I, is up, sorry Emma, a lot of that is upskilling and educating teachers, coaches who maybe only see themselves as a oh I only coach able-bodied people, oh, I'm only comfortable keep teaching PE in this way and they need to be able to access opportunities where they can understand how to adapt how to make their activities more inclusive and sometimes it's really simple it's a really small little toolkit of being able to ask a question they don't need masses of equipment in their boot to try and make it more accessible for everybody they just need to be able to ask the right questions feel comfortable to maybe challenge at the right time uh, and be willing to adapt where possible because it's it's only small changes and if people feel comfortable it can have a massive impact Yeah, I'm just going to um, agree with both of you. I would also say about mindset. So it's not just the athlete. It's also everyone around as well. Um, I think a lot of planning new sessions or planning new projects, you need to not just have the one person or the one key decision maker putting it all in that. Going, oh, we just do four o'clock till five. People with disabilities can't access. It's not our problem. But then that, that straight away, that session will not succeed. And it's talking, as uh, Siobhan says, talking to other individuals. Okay, what what can we want? What can we compromise? What would you like to achieve? And for me also, one we haven't really talked about is care plans. So a lot of care plans, so people with disabilities may have a care plan. Uh, I think it's staggering about 80% of care plans are actually not implemented. So it's like a contract. Um, and in that, there'll be a part about social uh, and sport. Uh, and a lot of social workers will work with it. So if they've got clients with, say, learning disability, and it'll say, once a week, swimming. Um, is that getting fulfilled? Um, are they actually going to it? Or, or now are we going to be using the excuse for the next two years? Can't do it because of COVID. I think everyone can be active. You just now need to adapt it. So maybe you can't go swimming, but can you do something at home with family supported or with a support worker? If you're in, the, in independent living, can they support you on your choices? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with, with everything we've covered. And I know it's such a broad area. And obviously we mentioned that people's disabilities range so much, but I'm hoping we've covered something that, that people can take a little bit from it. Whatever organisation they work in, most of the people who listen to this podcast, if not all, work in sport. So the main thing is to educate them, is to help them make impact within where they work, whether it's they work in a school and we look at Siobhan's experience experience or they work for a club or an NGB or whatever it may be or a funder who's hopefully going to give everyone on this podcast loads of money um, which is the main thing um, so thank you so much guys for your time I really appreciate it and I'm sure in the coming months and you know as the podcast continues to grow we're gonna get a little bit more specific on on these topics and really kind of hone in on specific disciplines 
abilities, specific groups, specific classes, specific regions as well. Obviously, London, as Kate mentioned, has its own little complications with transport and everything. So thank you so much for joining us. As always, um, all our resources are available on our website for free. Get in touch with support at Women in Sport if you have any questions or also just want to tell your story. Perhaps you're a disabled person and you, you want to share your experiences, then please get in touch. And thanks as well to our sponsor, CSM Live. We will see you next month for our next next episode.